0: Welcome, I'm Dr. Liz, an entrepreneur, speaker, podcaster, mom, and wife. This podcast is about hypnosis, but also about all kinds of ways to help you live your fullest life, to heal, transform, to play the long game and go after the joy. You can see more about me at drlizhypnosis.com. Hop over there to get a free hypnosis file to decrease fear and anxiety, or one to increase emotional stability. They're there just for you. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I do. Peace. Hi everyone, Dr. Liz here in Honor of Pride Month in the US, which is in June. I'm interviewing John Sovic. He is a teen specialist, and in particular, a queer teen specialist, and he is the author of Out, A Parent's Guide to Supporting Your LGBTQIA Plus Kid Through Coming Out and Beyond. We have a great conversation about how to work through your own process and the feelings you may be having about a child who's coming out, how to best find support, What to do with a kid who doesn't want to go to support groups themselves or um, talk about stuff, as well as ways to open up conversations with your child. So I hope that you find this interview informative and helpful and supportive. I am a very open-minded parent, and I learned stuff during this interview. So I hope that you have the same experience. So let's jump into it. Peace. Hi, John. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast.
1: Thank you. It's so delightful to be here with you.
0: Good. So, John, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself to get us started here?
1: So, I am a therapist here in Pasadena, California, and I specialize in working with LGBTQ adolescents and their families during the coming out process. It's been a passion of mine for quite a long time. I'm an openly queer man, and I bring that into my therapy practices And then, of course, I recently released a book, um, and I'm really excited about it. And the book is called Out, A Parent's Guide to Supporting Your LGBTQIA Plus Kid Through Mm -hmm. Coming Out and Beyond. And yes, I know it's a mouthful.
0: It is. But (laughs)
1: when I was at the publishers, we started with just Out. Mm -hmm. And then we realized that title had already been used. So then we Mm -hmm. did the parenting part and then they read the book. It's like, well, and beyond really counts too, because it covers more than just the coming out process, but the whole journey for kids.
0: It does. Yes. I actually appreciated that part of the book because it is um, more and more uh, in the public eye that beyond the transitioning trans, asexual, pansexual, all kinds of um, identifications are now, I think, more and more in the public eye, and certainly we're recording this in what are we, in, May, <laughs> May of 2023, and legislation is being passed. Unfortunately, um, all kinds of stuff, legislation, unfortunately, meaning um, not in support of trans youth, in my opinion, being able to really do what they want to do. So, yeah, I really appreciated that you covered that part of the, in the book.
1: Yeah, yes. and you know it. It is unfortunate right now. In May, uh, you know, just five months into the year, we have over four hundred and sixty anti-LGBTQ uh, bills going through legislations all over the U.S. Wow. right now. Is
0: it that many?
1: It is, and over wow. two hundred of them directly target trans kids and their wellness and their well-being. Yeah. And so, it's a really challenging time for our community. But as an adult, I can process it. I can speak out. I can join you and be an activist and advocate and an educator in this. and get my voice out there. But Mm -hmm. for a lot of LGBTQ kids, remember, they're on social media. They see and hear everything. They're hearing these vitriolic words saying that their ability to just be who they are is wrong. Mm -hmm, And it's a really intense time for LGBTQ kids right now.
0: So are you seeing a contrast between um, what they're hearing on social media and well, a contrast between that and then what's going on in their homes? Um, the reason I ask that is because my children experience social media sometimes as very supportive. Um, I have one child who identifies as gay, another child who identifies as bi. So they're getting all kinds of support on social media for that. But I imagine that if you're not in those channels, you're not following those types of people, then you are getting some kind of pushback. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And even in the process of receiving that supportive information, oftentimes it's in response to, hey, this bill just passed in this place. If you need help, here's what you could do. Hey, remember, you're still an amazing person. But these kids, your kids are still hearing all of this hate speech and this fear mongering that's simply talking about the essence of who they are as a human being on this earth. And they don't, they just want to be kids. They just want to go through the process of coming out. They just want to date and they want to have fun and they want to go to dances and concerts and, and Mm -hmm. play with their friends. And all of this energy is, is, is in the air right now.
0: Got it. Got it. You know, I did not relate to your book a whole lot. I'm going to say that up here in that Myself, I've always been supportive of my kids being whoever they are. And even when they were really little, as parents, you say stuff like, oh, maybe you'll get married someday or something like that. (laughs) I was always very careful to say, to not gender that, to not say, oh, maybe you'll marry a boy someday. Or, you know, it was like, oh, maybe you'll get married someday, a boy or a girl. Trans wasn't really, let's say, in the popular vernacular back then, Mm -hmm. but definitely it was more inclusive And so I had a hard time relating to you talking to the parent who's really struggling with this. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me some about that? Like who is this book for and how does it help them?
1: So I actually think it's for all parents and professionals who are interacting and working with LGBTQ kids. And even for parents who are incredibly supportive as you are, it's it's a place to come. And, and the way I describe it is at two in the morning, you wake up and you have an anxiety about something your kid might be going through as they're coming out. Mm-hmm. So you can reach over, turn on the light, open the book or just light up your Kindle and take a read and have a supportive voice that can say like, okay, you're going through something right now. It's okay. And here's a way maybe you could take some step to support your kid a little bit more effectively. Um, mm-hmm. Kids have an amazing journey during this process. And a lot of people think, oh, their kid came out to me, hooray, and then they move on. But an interesting thing to think about is that any LGBTQ kid, when they look up at their parents, they don't see their minority status usually represented in the parents. So Hmm. as a queer kid, I look up and see two cisgender heterosexual parents. And so Mm -hmm. I think this is a book that helps bridge that space. Even if you're a supportive parent to be the most affirming, affirming and supportive parent that you can be.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. And it was almost um, shocking to me. It's always shocking when the stories around parents who aren't so supportive, who really struggle with it. And that's something I've actually always struggled with is, is a parent who's not supportive, who thinks there's something quote unquote wrong with their child. Can you help me understand that perspective perhaps?
1: Well, most parents who are having challenges with their kids coming out and being who they truly are, have not done their own work and looked inside and understand their thoughts and journeys about sexual orientation and gender identity. They're often living with beliefs and systems that were handed to them by their parents, by their community, by their religion. And they've never really sat down and thought about, well, what does this mean in the world? And that's why I did this thing at the end of each chapter. I don't know if you remember, but I put these, what I called questions for contemplation. Mm -hmm. And they were put in place so that after reading a chapter where most parents say like, oh, that gives me information about my kid. These questions ask you as a parent, as a professional, to look inside and reflect on your values and how you grew up and what you were raised with. You know, a simple question when we're talking about sexual orientation is, what are the beliefs that you were told about sexual orientation when you grew up? And for people to pause at the end of these chapters and look inside themselves so they can then grow and be even more supportive for their kids.
0: Okay, got it, got it. So it's really coming from, and I have the book right here. Like,
1: (laughs) 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 that is like the psyche I do.
0: (laughs) And for the listeners there, I'm like holding it up on video. Um, Let me give a an example of of one of those questions. Let's see. What are your biggest fears when it comes to being able to support your LGBTQIA plus child? And what, who, and where are potential sources of support for you during this coming out process? So I live in South Florida, which has all these support resources. I mean, it's, I think it's the, it's the second or third largest gay community, queer community in the U.S. behind like San Francisco New York. So we have tons of to support resources here. I'm thinking of a parent who's not in such a major city and how do they find support resources?
1: Well, it is really fascinating when I do, you know, interviews such as this, I often will get people reaching out to me and asking for assistance, telling their story, looking for support. And some places to start with are to really look in your local community, see if there is an LGBTQ center. I have some parents who actually like live in a smaller town who will drive to the closest big city to find those resources.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because of our online abilities now, there's lots of resources available. There's an organization called PFLAG, which is Parents and Friends mm-hmm. of Lesbians and Gays. And they know that, unfortunately, when they made the name, they did not mention trans specifically, but they're amazingly supportive for families with trans and non-binary kids as well. They're an international organization. And so you can go to their website and you can find either meetings that are more local to you or online meetings that are a great resource. And They also have some of the best, um, like how to be an ally, how to support your kid. They're these little, (laughs) tiny, little, like how-to books. And they're really, really well-written and very accessible for parents. So I encourage that. i um, also looking at sites like Gleason, which is a gay and Lesbian, a gay, lesbian, straight education network. And this is an amazing organization that gathers information about the journey of LGBTQ kids. And in there, they provide sources of re, uh, support as well too. So there's a lot of really powerful and really well-vetted um, information now available online to support parents. And the thing that I I think is important is you as a parent do need to vet those organizations. Mm -hmm. You need to look at and say, like, is this an organization that's saying we are supportive of my kid's journey? Or is this an organization that is trying to say you need to shut it down? Because there are those Mm -hmm. organizations as well, too.
0: So as a parent,
1: I really encourage you to vet the situation and read through it carefully to make sure it's a place that's offering you support.
0: Okay, so you're saying if it's not one of these uh, major ones that you talked about, Mm -hmm. which are obviously supportive and pre-vetted, let's call them, (laughs) then make sure you (laughs) check it out. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a friend who goes to PFLAG meetings and loves them, loves them, just finds them such a wonderful source of support and information for her.
1: Well, and it's amazing too because I have parents that I encourage to start going to P FLAG meetings and they're like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm so, ah, I can't. And then they go and they really connect with it. And then years later, after their kid has graduated and gone to college, they're like still with the PFLAG meetings. They're like the leaders of the organization. They just get <laughs> yeah. so involved in the community that it's really an amazing journey to watch parents go on.
0: Is it for more for like parents of high school kids or younger?
1: No, it's all ages. It is and I think it's really fascinating about a lot of the meetings is the way they do it is they'll start the meeting with everybody, both kids and parents there. And then the kids will separate and they'll have a meeting that's facilitated. And then the parents will have a meeting together. And then at the end of the night, they'll all come back together. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really great place for both parents and kids to go to have a supportive experience.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. What do you see to parents who... Um, and speaking of the, I'm thinking of one of my friends who she sort of had to make her son go to meetings. <laughs> like he was like, no way am I going to any kind of support meeting. And now he loves them. Like it is a huge source of support for him and he doesn't want to miss them. But in the beginning, I was like, here's some resources, See if he'll go. You know, she was like, he doesn't want to go. What do I do? What advice would you give those parents who they're on board for getting support for them and their kids, but they're, um, this is a teenager in this case, this teenager was like, no way. What do you suggest?
1: So do the opposite. Say, no, you can't go to this meeting with us. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: this is just you know how see.
1: teenagers are. <laughs> no, you cannot come with us tonight. And they're like, I'm going. Now, the thing that I suggest is there's some layers that are playing out here. First of all, as a parent, it's important for you to make sure you have your own sources of support. So if a meeting's there, it is okay for you just to go and for your kid to stay at home. But what I encourage you to do is then from those meetings and say, hey, it was a really cool meeting last night. We talked about blah, 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 blah. What's your thoughts about it? And you Mm -hmm. might get that, "Mm, that shutdown, but keep doing that. And eventually you'll awaken a little bit of curiosity in in your kid. And then they may want to come and join you. You can also talk about there being other kids there. That's always another way to like kind of to grease the wheel to get them to join you. But remember, you cannot force your kids to do anything. Um, Mm -hmm. As a therapist, I only work with kids who want to and are willing to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't work with the kind that are dragged in there by the ear by their parents. (laughs) Um, Some therapists do. That's not my choice. Mm -hmm. And so making it interesting and enticing and letting them have some time to transition into it as well too. Because remember, them going to that meeting is another layer of them coming out publicly by saying, I am willing to go to this meeting and talk about my queerness openly.
0: Yes. Got it. Love that. I found too, that podcasts in the car on the way to school or home, or when we're just running errands um, has opened up a lot of conversation. So my daughter and I are big fans of the um, gender reveal Mm -hmm. podcast. Love that one. And the the host has all kinds of guests on. And so we get into all kinds of conversations just from those podcast topics. Some of it is me questioning, like, I don't understand what they mean by that. And she'll explain it to me. You know? <laughs> or, or sometimes it's um, conversations around what they're talking about. Yeah, it's been really helpful. So I like that approach. Like you go well, as and a I parent. Think, and I ahead. think what
1: you're talking about, too, opens up a bridge for communication to happen. So another is the fact that, hey, I've been listening to this podcast, or they get in the car and I'm listening to this podcast, let's just keep it playing, is another way to let your kid know that you are a supportive of their journey, that you are getting yourself educated, that you you want to be an asset for their growth as an LGBTQIA plus kid. Because oftentimes in families, what will happen is what we, it's what I call you know a one and done approach, where a kid will come out and they'll be like, oh, you're amazing, yay. And then nobody in the family ever talks about it again. Mm. And uh, coming out is a lifelong process. It's a continuous growth and developmental piece. I mean, if you think about it, me coming here and chatting with you today and telling the world I'm an openly queer therapist is me coming out to another group of people. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so important to remember that this type of support is ongoing to create energy that keeps the conversation open and available to both the parents and the kids.
0: Mm, I love it. I love it. Yes. To think of it more as like an ongoing process versus a a one-time thing that happened, an event. It's not Mm -hmm. really an event.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ask your kids. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. It just brings up a memory of one time. I think it was the the end of the year last year, the school year, and I brought my daughter home, just like these multicolored rainbow flower bouquet, and she said, "Oh, is this Pride Month, Mom?" (laughs) And it was really for like, oh, the end of tenth grade, like school (laughs) is (laughs) finished. I was like, yes.
1: <laughs> You're like, I'm proud of you every day.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely. It's for Pride Month. But yes, it's like a series of events, let's say, that happen in um, how to be supportive along the way. So what is your biggest piece of advice for parents who are struggling with what their child is sharing with them?
1: So one of the first things that I think all parents need to look at is their own feelings their own thoughts their own emotions about this process i describe in the book in fact i give a whole chapter to it of the possibility of parents going through what we call a grieving process Mm -hmm. and people hear that and they, they get a little reactive sometimes but let me share what that means so when your kids are born you get them in your arms you look into their little eyes and you project forward an entire lifetime for them They're going to be the valedictorian or the captain of the football team or the head cheerleader, and they're going to go away to college and become a doctor, lawyer, dentist, all of those amazing things. And then they're going to move in next door to you and buy a house with a white picket fence and dogs, and everybody's going to have grandchildren running back and forth. And when your kid comes out to you, often that dream will die. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is so important to understand is for parents, you are grieving the dream of what you believed your kids were going to be. And you need to process that and you need to give yourself some time to go inside and really sort through the emotions that are coming up with it. And I also tell the kids about this too, because I think it's important for them to know, look, you and I have been talking about this for a while. You've been processing coming out for a while. This is new for your parents. We Mm -hmm. need to give them a little space to adjust their emotional meter right now. And when we give that space and really recognize the grieving process is taking is happening, then that allows the process to move along and then parents can open up and expand a little bit more and find their way to be a supportive and affirming parent.
0: Got it. Got it. So allow yourself to look at what is it you're grieving, like identifying that. Mm -hmm. And then how do I, I let go of that over time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And recognizing how it may be influencing you in moments so that you can say like, oh, ooh, today was a tough one. You know, mm-hmm. it's graduation. And this is, I see my non-binary kid walking across the stage and I'm so proud and amazed at them. And it's, it's not the picture I remember setting up when I was younger. And mm-hmm. so it's about recognizing that those things are influencing moments for you.
0: Got it. Got it. So really paying attention in the moment to what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's a hard one.
1: It is. And I think it's important that it's recognized because when it's recognized and a parent can process, then they can open up and be expansive and euphoric and celebratory and bring their kid multicolored flowers when they want to, (laughs) to be part of the journey with their kid. Rather than saying, I'm having these feelings and I need to hide them and shut them down, we do need to move through them.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, what if they don't have anyone to talk to about those types of feelings?
1: Yeah. So there are layers to this. You know, If you have a spouse who you can talk to, these are things to talk to with your spouse. If you don't have a spouse to talk to, it's about maybe finding a PFLAG group and being able to talk to other parents. It is about sometimes finding a best friend and bringing them into your circle of confidentiality. Um, But once again, you need to be respectful of your kids coming out process so that friend doesn't out them accidentally in another venue. So it is about finding those supportive and at first confidential, maybe even a therapist who's trained in in LGBTQ affirming practices as a place for you to work through your own process as you're trying to be the most supportive parent for your kid.
0: Got it. I did like the chapter, appreciate the chapter on family, how to handle some family and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me because it's well, hard. You know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you
1: know it's not just coming out for you. It's like they dropping a pebble in the middle of the pond, and it's them to you, you to them. Then a bigger family, other siblings, spouses, then grandparents and aunts and uncles and community. At all of those layers, everybody got to check in. You
0: yes, know? yes, and it is really tough decisions. Sometimes people do make the decision to not tell grandma because she's. 82 and just won't understand. they decide they decide for her sometimes and I mean mm-hmm. you know not that they don't know who their grandma is. but it is really tough decisions and trying to navigate that and I, I really appreciated the examples you gave too of how do you navigate that? How do you address it with a family member who's not very supportive or who's making um, ugly comments? And how do you do that in a way that is respectful of not just them, but yourself and your child's process, your own process?
1: Yeah. And, you know, for me, the first step of all of this is like, let's say you're going to family event Mm -hmm. is to sit down with your kid and talk about. So who knows who doesn't so far? How do you want us to handle this? You know, if you have a trans or non-binary kid and they have their authentic name and pronouns, maybe for that event, they're like, I want to go with my dead name and my old pronouns because I do not want to come out to everybody. Or they might say, you know, it's going to be a smaller event. I do want to let aunts and uncles know. I want to let my cousins know. But we need to sit down with the kids and have the conversation with them about how far they want to go in this moment. You know, I have some parents who are so supportive and they want to run out and tell the whole world. They want to put it in the the Christmas newsletter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to really slow down and check in with your kid and see what layers they want to do it at. Because they're going to have a sense of who they really want to know to test the waters of the extended family. See who might be there for them.
0: Mm, Okay. Got it. Got it. I didn't really see it as a test. I see that now. It's happened in my own extended family last year or the year before, I think it was the year before, it it ended up being really significant because I made a stocking with the um, authentic child's name on it. And it was the first time that she had had her name in print, like on something so significant, you know? And so it was like very moving for her. But yeah, it was this big decision about who's going to know and who knows what and, and who does this. And for those of you who don't know, a dead name is a name that a child was given at birth, typically by their parents, and then decide not to use because it doesn't fit them really. And their authentic name is the one that they choose for themselves. So just so that you're more familiar with that term in case you're not.
1: (laughs) You know, and it's funny too, because when this conversation comes up about trans non-binary kids, I always think it's fascinating because in a lot of cultures and civilizations is you're given a name when you're born that everyone in the community uses. And then like at 16, 17, 18, when you're seen as becoming an adult, You would choose what was more authentic for you. Really? And I'm kind of thinking we need to bring that back. (laughs) Yeah. Because my parents were very uncreative. My full name is John Edward Thomas. So Uh it's like not one creative vowel in that entire (laughs) section. And I think it would have been really fun as I started to learn who I was to be like, no, this is actually my name.
0: Yeah. And to
1: be able to bring that to ourselves. So. I think if parents can look at that with their trans non-binary kids as a celebration of their kid coming into their authentic identity, it can steal away a little bit of that, but we named you after or we read, you know, 10,000 yeah. names and chose this one for you. Cause it's a, it's a really challenging moment for a lot of parents when their kid reveals what their real name
0: is. It is how the term dead name come about.
1: So it's this really this journey of of change in a, in a person it's about releasing the old person that they were assigned within their life and becoming the authentic person they are now and if we look at death oftentimes we think of death as like the body expiring mm-hmm. And if you bring it into a bigger, bigger piece of explanation, death is actually often changes in our life, big moments where we step from who we were to who we are. Right. And so it could be something that we've all gone through, you know, whether it's been like a new career that we've come into, whether mm-hmm. it's about a divorce or a marriage or a family event where changes happened. If we look at it, we have all died in various moments during our life. Mm -hmm. And so this process for trans and non-binary people is an ability to say goodbye, to release that old version that was assigned to them by, by society, by parents, by community, and to step in and transition into who they are.
0: Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot more sense to me. While you were talking, I was thinking about... Uh, our brief conversation before we started the recording that you're a a current yoga teacher and I'm an ex-yoga teacher. I taught yoga for about 20 years. And when you were talking about this death of past selves or transitions, that's what came to mind for me. It's like, it feels almost like a dream to me. And I stopped teaching really in, I would say, last, I don't know, the last teaching quote unquote I did was in 2018, which is not that long ago. It's about five years Mm -hmm. ago, but it just feels sort of like this past self. And I still practice yoga multiple times a week at home, but I'm not, I don't consider myself a teacher anymore. Mm -hmm. And so to put it in that context just helps me make sense of like, okay, that's perhaps the same type of sense that a kid is is getting when they're stepping into a self that feels more authentic. Like, oh, that's Mm -hmm. a past self that doesn't feel really uh, relevant or real to me as much as this current self.
1: And that's the thing that I really try and work with parents on, is when you sit down with these concepts that can feel overwhelming at time, and you really chew on them for a little bit and give them some space in your heart and your mind, that you can actually find moments of understanding Mm -hmm. like that. It's like, wow, I understand this whole concept a little bit differently because now I've related it to an experience that I've had in my life. Mm -hmm. And with most parents, if we can open up that space for them, they can step over most of those hurdles and roadblocks that they've been taught over their lifetime and about how to interact with LGBTQ people.
0: Yes, yes. So how did you uh, land on this specialty, let's say? Did you originally start working just with teens, period? And then, which is for those of you who are not therapists, it's like one of the most difficult areas as a therapist. Everybody is always looking for a therapist who will take a teen. Like
1: I I will have my right to work with teens until the end. Like multiple times a
0: week. Sometimes I'm like, I don't work with teens. I used to work with teens um, (laughs) many, many years ago, but I stopped working with teens. So it's like, yes. How did you come into this specialty?
1: So I love working with teens. I think they're amazing and magical and wonderful and what happened is when i went back to grad school we go into internships and trainings and in that opportunity i did a school based program and so i was working at a middle school and a high school and really started to find that i had this amazing ability with teens to get them to open up and to talk and share about things that they wouldn't normally speak with uh, with other people mm-hmm. And the other thing that I noticed too, though, as a queer man going through my program, there was very little emphasis on supporting the LGBTQ community and almost no information on supporting queer kids as they were coming out. And Mm -hmm. so this immediately became a passion of mine um, to learn more, to get education, to talk about thought leaders in the world who had walked this path before me about supporting these kids. And to build this into my specialization, mm-hmm. because I always feel that if I could be there for one kid in one moment that keeps them from choosing to harm themselves or kill themselves, that I have done my work, whether that's in current time or in future time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm committed to the work that I do.
0: Got it. Got it. So you really enjoyed it and found that you had a gift. This is what I'm hearing. Like that is a gift believe well, me you to get a to open up. <laughs>
1: Well, here's the moment where it all kind of came to a head is I was working with a high schooler in their school and I came back to my supervision because I was still an intern then. And I told my supervisor, yeah, we were talking about this kid's ideas about God and spirit today. And my supervisor just says, hold on a minute. You had a teenager talking to you about their spiritual beliefs? It's like, yeah, it just happened. And, And she was like, okay, this is where you need to be working.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Cool. All right. And then why did you decide to write the book?
1: I decided to write the book. Actually, I don't even know if I decided to tell you the (laughs) truth. It kind of just... It was like you need to write this book uh-huh. because this is really an accumulation of all of the years of work, you know, that I brought, you know, in the therapy room about the education. I travel the world and speak about supporting this community, and it just seemed like all the things collided. My publisher reached out to me directly, actually. To, we talked about this project, and it was like uh, okay, let's answer the call and let's do this. Yeah. And it was a really, really beautiful journey for me as well to really look at the process of bringing all of this, this training and information that I've had over the years and honing it down to try and create this really concise, really supportive book for parents.
0: Got it. Got it. Fantastic. It's always nice to be Asked to do something (laughs) that's that's right up your specialty area. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like I can do that. Okay. (laughs)
0: Yes. It was stepping into uh, the writer self.
1: Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, is I've done a lot of writing previously, a lot of it for, you know, magazines and and popular media and stuff like that. So it was just about taking that information now and really opening it and, Carving it and and making sure that it had a voice that parents could sit down with and say like I, I can take this in right now.
0: Good, good. Yeah, I did feel like that is um, a really a point that comes across in the book that it's very readable. I will say, you can pick it up. I think at two a.m. and flip to a chapter and be like, okay, I I need the advice here, or let me do just one of these questions at the end of a chapter. And to see Mm -hmm. what it means to me, or how can I be more supportive? Um, You have good resources in it as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you can always do what I have a client of mine did that was hilarious, is they were reading the book, and then they hit something in it, and they put it on their spouse's nightstand.
0: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there is. I think it's more rare than common to find two parents who completely agree about How to support their child. And so it is an important point of like putting it in the bathroom. That's what we always say as couples therapists like, put it in the bathroom for your spouse, your (laughs) partner. Right? Or- what are you
1: doing in there? <laughs> Reading chapter seven.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or their nightstand is a good option there. <laughs> About sticking it on top of the TV remotes, I don't know. <laughs> so
1: well, and that is something to understand in this process, though, is each parent is going to be going through their own thing. Yes. You know, you as partners may be very well connected, but then this thing happens in your life, your kid comes out to you. It is a big event Mm -hmm. and all of your preconceived notions are going to be challenged. And so things that you may have heard of as a kid are different than the ones your partner has heard as a kid. Mm -hmm. And here you are now trying to bring all of that together. And so it's a process of parents also finding a way to be on the same page about this.
0: Yes. And I will say too, sometimes um, a group that doesn't get as much attention as siblings. So siblings sometimes Mm -hmm. struggle.
1: And I encourage this as an opportunity for everybody in the family to really talk about sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm -hmm. You know, in the work that I do, yes, I work with a lot of queer teens and their families. I work with straight people too. (laughs) and. (laughs) Good for it's you, Thank <laughs> you. I'm expanding. Yeah. <laughs> is that I have because of the work I do, and I'm a sex educator and very sex positive, is I'm very open with just asking a, a, a general question to kids of all a different representations. Mm-hmm. And so I'll I, you know, a moment I had is there was a kid who sat down, you know, football teamish kind of person, you know, all of that energy. And we were chatting, and then they were talking about dating one time, and it's like, ah, it's just not going well. And I was like, so are we just talking girls, boys, a little bit of both? What are we talking about here? And because I'm so just present with it Mm -hmm. and comfortable with it, this kid who is representative of a very heteronormative style said, well, I mean, I've thought about boys, but they're not really my thing. Mm -hmm. But we could open that up because I had this comfort with it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing as parents is you need to have your own comfort with these questions and curiosities that are coming up when your kid's coming out mm-hmm. so that you can then be supportive of them. But then you can open it up to the whole family and you can talk about with the siblings, like how are you doing with your your, your sibling coming out? Mm-hmm. How's your experience? What are your thoughts about sexual orientation and gender identity? Mm-hmm. That this could actually become a catalyst rather than something becomes exclusionary because we're focusing only on our LGBTQIA plus kid. Got it. Open up the conversation, make space for your other kids to also talk about their journey and even their journey as being the sibling of an out kid.
0: Got it, got it. Because
1: there are things that are going to affect them at school as well too. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely. Particularly if they're closer in age and they're in the same school. Yes, it does have some effects on them as well.
1: Yeah, and especially if we're looking at smaller towns, Mm -hmm. um, in smaller town communities, it's it's a very intense journey. You know, one of the things we talk about in living in you know a big city is there's all kinds of wonderful, exciting things. But the other thing that's here as well too is lots of resources and lots of protection Mm -hmm. for LGBTQI people. If you are a kid coming out in a town that has a population of twelve hundred. You may be the only kid who's open about their sexual orientation or gender identity in your school environment. And that puts a lot of pressure on these kids. Yes, It might put pressure on the family, realizing we are in a town that is not supportive. I'm getting looks when I go to the grocery store. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And to be aware of these different facets of how this journey of coming out is going to be for parents in different communities.
0: Yeah, I really love that. I do live in such a a huge city that I sometimes forget the small town experience, which can be very confining and prejudicial, and even, um, you know, awful things can even happen violence and that type of thing against a youth that's coming out or is out. Mm -hmm.
1: And unfortunately, whether it's a small town or a big city, we are finding that the numbers are rising with anti lgbtq statements. Kids are getting more verbally har- harassed, physically bullied. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I would want any parent or professional who's listening to understand is we're also seeing suicide rates rising dramatically mm-hmm. in LGBTQIA plus kids. And if you can move through your own stuff and be there to support one kid, to check in with them at that moment, just before they're thinking this might be it, you are going to make a huge difference in the world. And I think it's so important for us to be there for LGBTQ kids right now. So many of them are seeing killing themselves as the only option to escape the pain that they're feeling in the world they're living in currently.
0: Yes, I I do see that. And I do... Stay up on some of those statistics and it is disheartening. It's super sad, super, super sad. So I think it's a good point. If you can just be one adult who checks on a child that, you know, that's going through this or is supportive of a child that, you know, that's going through this, then, um, then you're doing some good work in the world.
1: And that's the thing that we know. Lots and lots of different studies have said if LGBTQIA plus kids have one, even just one supportive adult in their world, levels of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation go down, school performance can go up, mm. all of these things just, and that's just one single supportive adult. So what if the whole family can be supportive? What if the community can be yes. supportive? What if this moment of coming out can be a place where everybody gets to grow and create like a powerful team around these kids because yes. they need all of that love right now.
0: Yes, they do. I mean, what is your, I'm stealing a question from gender reveal from a with stock,
1: the host. <laughs> we <don't> tell them.
0: <laughs> what is your ideal future in terms of gender and LGBTQI plus kids?
1: So that's a beautiful, multi-layered question. And let me start with the kids. I would love it where any kid would feel that wherever they were, they would feel safe in their world by being authentically who they are with their sexual orientation, gender identity, any type of neurodiversity or neurodivergent world that kids could walk out there and feel the support from all of the people around them. Because ultimately, what we most want to be as human beings is we want to be seen and we want to be loved. Mm
0: -hmm. And if
1: we can create spaces for LGBTQ teens to experience that, we're not only affecting them, we're also influencing the, the straight and cisgender kids around them to be more supportive and loving as well. And in just a very few generations, we could create a world where being queer wasn't something to be laughed at, pointed out, or put as derogatory It could be seen as something that was powerful and wonderful, and we could all embrace these questions of sexual orientation and gender identity.
0: That's such a beautiful answer. Thank you. So I think that's a good place to end our interview here. Please tell people how to find you and how to find your book.
1: So you can find me at www.johnsovec.com. That's J-O-H-N-S-O-V-E-C.com. And the book you can find at your local bookseller. You can also get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of those places online where you read. Available both hardback and Kindle. Um, I'm old school. I like having I like having books to hold on to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're kind of juicy, and that way you can also really make it an interactive process you can write in it you can put notes in it you can share it with your spouse and people like that yeah. so yeah those are places you can
0: find me great and the name of the book again is out a parent's guide to supporting your lgbtqia plus kid through coming out and beyond by john sovic lmft so thank you so much for being on the podcast
1: thank you it's been a joy talking with you today